You know, we've been going, we've started this series last week, and it's only a three-part series. It's a short one, but it's called Spend Little, Save Some, Share Much. And if you'll notice, I have the Save Some, it's a little bit more bold there. That's because we're going to be talking about that today. But learning learning how to to be wise with your money, what I believe it does is it frees us up to be all that God wants us to be. I really believe that. And what it, I think what else it does to us for, or for us is this, it also increases our joy. I believe that. How many of you, how many of you at one time or another have owned a piggy bank? Okay, so, okay, so a lot of you, okay. It was in old England around the 15th century that, that people made all kinds of useful objects out of clay, um, including dishes and jars. And a lot of times they would use those jars or those dishes to hold spare change in them. Uh, metal wasn't used much and it was very expensive to use. So dishes and jars were made uh, from an easily available orange clay at that time, orange clay that they called pig. Believe it or not, it was called pig. P-Y-G-G, pig. Families often kept any spare household coins in one of their clay jars, pig jars. And what happened was that they, they became commonly known in England as a pig jar and later as a pig bank. That's what they called it. Around the 18th century, the word pig now sounded the same as the word for the animal pig. Uh, some potters began making clay banks in the shape of a pig. And so the first piggy banks were born. I don't know if you knew that. I don't know about you, but I remember having one. And a lot of you, from the raising of your hands, I think many of you had them. Saving is something that kids often learn to do. I did. You did. But most of us have outgrown our piggy banks. The unfortunate thing is, though, is that some have outgrown saving money as well. And so we can't do that. Learning how to be wise, as I said earlier, learning how to be wise with your money frees us up to be all that God wants us to be. And I believe that it increases our joy. Uh, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he he adds no sorrow to it. So the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. I find that to be pretty interesting. You know, out of, uh, I would say one, one of the best lessons that we could learn is how to make money work for us in savings rather than against us by borrowing. You know, and it's so true because when you borrow, you have to pay interest. Interest, you might as well, you know, that's like taking your money and flushing it down the bank, uh, the toilet. You know, uh, um, before going to Europe on a business trip, this man drove up to this bank. He had his Rolls Royce in downtown New York City, and he drove up to this bank, and he went in and he asked if he could have a loan for $5,000. And so the loan officer was quite taken back, and he asked, well, do you have any collateral to offer us for this $5,000 loan? Well... Here's the keys, and he held the keys up. Here's the keys to my Rolls Royce, the man said. And so the loan officer promptly had the car driven to the bank's underground parking garage for safekeeping. 
and the, and the bank officer gave him the $5,000 loan. And so two weeks later, the man returned to the bank and he asked to settle up his loan and get his car back. And so the loan officer checked the records and told him that that will be $5,000 in principal that you owe and then $15.40 in interest. And so the man wrote out a check for $5,000, $5,015.40, and he thanked the officer, and he started to walk away. Well, the loan officer couldn't handle that. He said, just wait a minute, sir. Hold on, hold on. While you were going, I found out that you are a millionaire. So why in the world would you need to borrow $5,000? And the millionaire smiled, and he said, where else could I securely part my Rolls Royce in Manhattan for two weeks and only pay $15.40. That, I'm telling you, I think that we would all have to admit that that's some pretty good dollars and cents by a millionaire. Amen? $15.40 in Manhattan, New York. Where could you park a, a Rolls Royce for that? Absolutely. Well, last Sunday, we began a short three-sermon series called Spend Little, Save Some, Share Much. And this series is about being good stewards of what God has given to each one of us. Because he has. Again, as I said last week, the number one key when it comes to managing your money is to acknowledge that it's not your money. It's God's money. It is God's money. The Bible says... In Psalm chapter 50, verse 10, that, that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He does. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And, you know, Dave Ramsey, I don't know how many of you know who Dave Ramsey is. If you've heard of Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey's the head of that. Dave Ramsey often says he owns the hills too. <laughs> Which he does. He owns the hills too. You know, in other words, everything that we have belongs to God. And what our job is to be good stewards of God's money. It is. It's to be good stewards of God's money, to, to manage God's money God's way. That's hard for some of us. That really is. And like I said last week, there are only three things that you can do with money. You can either spend it, save it, or share it. Those are the only three options unless you have crazy money and you use it as kindling for your your wood stove. Other than that, those are the three things that you can do with it. And so last week we talked about the prodigal son and his spending problem. You remember the prodigal son and his spending problem? You know, we looked at his example of how not to spend your money. How not to spend your money. And so when it when it came to money, the prodigal son was he was selfish. He was extremely careless with his money, and he was short-sighted. And in, in, the, in the very end of it all, however, what he did was he did, he did a couple good things there. Number one, he repented, and he turned to his father for help, which is what we need to do if we need help, that we turn to our father for help. See, our, our heavenly father has imparted practical financial wisdom through his word he is he, he there are so many different places in his word so it's important for us to be able to dig into his word and discover how to manage god's money god's way that's so important for us and so this week 
what I want to do is I want to look at what the Bible has to say about saving money. For some of us, that may not be easy to do. For others, that may be very easy for you to do. You know, and I will tell you this. You can't look at a person and judge them because some of the 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 um, the people that would look like they wouldn't even have two pennies to rub together could be millionaires, and you know because they they understood the concept of saving money, and so they hoarded it. <laughs> Absolutely, and so but our heavenly Father, he's he's imparted so much to us in His Word. You know, I'm reminded of a couple who had been married for only a few months when the husband started to feel ignored by his wife. I say, you know, come on. This went on for several more days, so eventually he confronted her with what he perceived as the problem. And this is what he said to her. He says, admit it. Admit it, he ranted. You only married me because my grandfather left me $6 million. Didn't you? Of course, the wife had her hands on her hips, like, you know. And his wife replied, you know what, that's ridiculous. I could care less who left it to you. (laughs) You know what, for many of us, the idea of having an inheritance, especially if it's $6 million, you know, have an inheritance to our children, our grandchildren seems like it's completely unattainable. I had a, I have a good friend who, you know, he, he offered to tell me he had, he was an eye doctor and he had saved like $8 million for his retirement. And now he doesn't really know. I mean, it's, it's just money. He, he doesn't know who, he doesn't really have the family to, to give it to or to, you know, and so he has $8 million, but it really is interest to me to have $6 million to our, our children, our grandchildren. It, it, all that just seems completely unattainable. Most of us are just hoping our money doesn't run out before our life does. <laughs> Remember, I talked about the PGA golfer last week. His name was Doug Sanders, who was trying to time his money to run out when his life would end. You know, good luck on that one, buddy. So, so we might be surprised to learn that the scripture says this in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22a there. It says, it says, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. That's an interesting scripture. Unfortunately, not many of us measure up to the standard. You know, like I mentioned last week, if you remember, according to a survey that was done by bankrate.com, bankrate.com, 76% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Paycheck to paycheck. That means Americans are are living right on the edge, at at least when it comes to financial planning. You know, according to a separate survey of 5,000 adults conducted, it was conducted in December of 2015, by Google Consumer Survey. And, and it was approximately 62% of Americans have less than $1,000 in their savings account. And 21% don't even have a savings account. That's, that's amazing. 
You know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't take much for an emergency to add up to a thousand dollars, does it? A thousand dollars doesn't really seem like all that much anymore, does it? It really doesn't. You know, a car repair, a leaky roof, or, or a hospital bill, you know, can get, can, it can get your heart beating pretty quickly, can it? You know, that means 62% of Americans are living on a razor's edge just, just praying that life doesn't happen to them. But you know, something will happen sooner or later. It always does. It always does. And when it does, a lot of times what happens is these families will go straight to the credit cards or the home equity line of credit or, 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 or you know, or, or a home equity loan or even borrow money from friends and family to bail themselves out. And that is why the Bible tells us that wise people save money. Save for this rainy time, this rainy day. And so I think that it's important for us to, to be those people to save. And this morning I want to look at a story of a very wise person in the Bible. And I want to highlight three biblical principles of saving money from his example. And that wise person is none other than Joseph. Remember Joseph? Joseph's story itself, I think, should be very familiar to you, to most of us here. But I want to set the stage for it, for his story. See, Joseph, in, in, back in, in the book of Genesis, Joseph you know, ha, has been living in Egypt now for many years. Remember how Joseph got to Egypt? His brother sold him, took his coat of many colors back to his dad with the blood on it, and said that he had died. They had sold him into slavery in Egypt. So he had been in Egypt for many, many years. First, he, he was there as a slave. Then he was a prisoner. But see, one night, when Pharaoh's disturbing dreams seemed to be revealed a foreboding future, he turns to Joseph. Somehow Joseph ends up interpreting his dreams. So Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams as a warning from God, Egypt would experience seven years of great abundance, followed by, uh, immediately by, seven years of terrible famine. I mean, it was going to be a famine in the land, and it was going to be really tough. So not only did Joseph foresee the famine, thanks to God's intervention, but what Joseph also did was he devised a plan to survive it. He devised a plan to survive it. That's what he did. So I want you to listen to what Joseph tells Pharaoh. Here's what he says in verses 33 through 44 of Genesis 41. He says, And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance they should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. 
He said, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh, and he called all of his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? So then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all of my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So he's going to be like the second greatest person in all of Egypt. So, so Pharaoh said to Joseph, I will hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and he put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in in robes and and fine linen and, and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command and people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all of Egypt. Wow. What a passage of scripture. Joseph's suggestion were, were well received by Pharaoh and the officials that he had to deal with. Um, in fact, Pharaoh determined that Joseph himself, he must be the wisest man. He's the one that interpreted the dream. So he must be the wisest man in Egypt. So Pharaoh puts him in charge of the whole project and and actually makes him almost equal to Pharaoh, like the second in command. And so as this story unfolds, what I see here is I see three biblical principles about savings that, that would apply to our lives. And I want to share them with you today. The first one is this. The first biblical principle of savings is practical. It's to be practical. In this passage, what we see is we see that God gave Pharaoh a clear message that, that trouble was coming. Trouble was coming. You know, his dreams were, were a declaration from God that the, the king needed to get he needed to get his country in order. Joseph saw this clearly, commenting that these things had been firmly decided by God. In Genesis chapter 41, verses 28 through 32, it talks about this idea of firmly decided by God. That's what he says there. When the Bible tells you that something has been firmly decided by God, you better buckle up. You better buckle up. Pharaoh recognized the urgency and he took steps to manage what I would say was this impending crisis that was going to take place. Unfortunately, you and I don't often get warnings like that, do we? We don't often get warnings of impending disasters like Pharaoh did. We just don't. I mean, it could be caused by someone else. And we have to end up facing the consequences because of that. So unfortunately, you and I, we we don't get that opportunity. But one thing you can count on is this. Disaster is coming for all of us. 
You may be sitting in the middle of a a financial crisis right now. You may be better off financially than you've ever been in all your life. Who knows? No matter what is going on in your life right now, you need to understand a vital point, and that is emergencies are going to happen for all of us. No one is immune to that. We all face those crises. Little emergencies happen all the time, don't they? They just do. The car breaks down. You know, the kids need braces. You know, your your AC breaks down when it's 900 degree weather outside. It always does that right at that time. Your roof is leaking. Your basement is flooded. Your toilet is overflowing. And that is why Larry Burkett and David Ramsey and other financial experts recommend that you set aside $1,000 in an emergency fund as quickly as possible in order to cover those unexpected expenses. Because it's going to happen. Some disasters, though, can cost a lot more than $1,000, can't they? Like I said earlier, $1,000 goes very quickly, doesn't it, in this day and age? You know, medical debt is consistently one of the leading causes of personal bankruptcy in the United States. When faced with a serious illness, you know, the typical American family has the added strain of financial pressure. And that's really sad that that has to be. That means that when you or your spouse or your, your child are sick, it's not just a health crisis, it becomes a money crisis. And that is so frustrating. That is absolutely frustrating. You know, medical emergencies can sometimes lead to another all-too-common financial disaster. And you know what that is? It's the idea of losing your job because you can't work. So from our first fast food days, how many of you worked in fast food when you were, when you were young? I did, I did KFC, I did McDonald's, National Fruit. I did, I did a bunch of jobs there. But from our first fast food working days to the job we, we plan to continue throughout our careers, job loss is one of the most prevalent emergencies and losing a job is, is an emergency everyone should plan for and plan accordingly. I'm telling you. Even a 16 year old working his or first, her first job should plan to become unemployed. One of the wisest things that we can do is save at least one month's pay. In fact, Howard Dayton of Crown Financial Ministries recommends, and he, he, re, he recommends this kind of mentality that is this, I don't need this job. And, and, and create an, I don't need this job fund. So, you know, an emergency fund with at least three months income to pay bills in case you lose or you walk away from a job. And again, like I said last week, Dave Ramsey from Financial Peace University recommends that we save three to six months of salary. Now, for some of you, you know, who are on a fixed income, that's a really hard thing to be able to do. It really is. And that's why the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 2, it says, invest what you have in several different businesses because you don't know what disasters might happen. And that's exactly, 
I believe that that's, that's actually a, a, a note about diversification, but, but it makes a, a good point about emergencies. It really does. We don't know what the future holds, but we know that there will be emergencies. There will be disasters that are going to come along. Emergencies are, are not a matter of if, it's a matter of when for every single one of us. And that's why saving money is practical and vitally important. But the second principle, the second biblical principle of saving money is this concept of, of being planned. Joseph didn't just tell Pharaoh that trouble was coming, did he? Not at all. He interpreted the dream as he was asked to, but then what he did was he went one step further in that when he interpreted that dream. Joseph offered the specific plan of action. He didn't just tell Pharaoh what the dream was. He offered a plan of action. Notice what he says in Genesis chapter 41, verses 33 and 34 there. He says, And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth. What's a fifth? It's 20%. Take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. In other words, every person in Egypt was to give 20%. And so that's what he did. When faced with the realization that Egypt would flourish for seven years and then face this, this famine, I mean this absolute famine for another seven years, Joseph's first instinct was to do this. Save, save, save. That's what he wanted to do. And so Joseph didn't simply suggest that each individual farmer save here and there however much that they could. Instead, he put a number on it. He says one-fifth, 20% of the grain that was to be harvested during the years of plenty would be set aside for the future. That's what he wanted. This was Egypt's emergency fund to be used only during the famine and only to supplement what each family was able to produce during the hard years. Joseph, he was a, he was a model servant. And further, he suggested that someone be put in charge to make sure that the savings plan went as he suggested. Hint, 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 you know. His plan left nothing to chance. It was written down. It was built in. There was built in accountability there. It had full support of Pharaoh. And, and, and with our personal budget, you know, our personal budgets need to be intentional and they need to be well planned too. You know, each of us, every single one of us in here, we need to have a plan. You won't save money by accident. Trust me. I know that. I've never been able to save money by accident. You don't save money by accident. It needs to be planned. You need to write it down, put actual numbers on a paper showing every dollar that will come in and every dollar that goes out. Do this every month. Even Jesus talks about the importance of budgeting your money. Here's what he said in Luke chapter 14, verse 28. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? 
That's just the logical thing to do, isn't it? Each one of us needs to do the same thing. We need to, to count the cost of living, count the cost of, uh, of emergencies, you know, the, the cost of retirement. And, and, and I know some people just hate the word budget. People don't like it. But, but a budget is not a straitjacket. Did you hear me? A budget is not a straitjacket. A budget doesn't mean that you can't or should, shouldn't enjoy your money. It just means that you are exercising control over it. You know, Larry Burkett, how many of you heard of the guy by the name of Larry Burkett? Larry Burkett often said this. He said, a budget is simply telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. That's what it's, that's what it's saying. So Joseph's savings plan teaches us some very important things here. The first one is this, is that timing matters. And the time is now. The time is now. You know, if Egypt had delayed, if Pharaoh had given these thoughts that, well, we'll start saving in a couple years, um, but for now we're just going to enjoy the surplus, Egypt would have been in very serious trouble. Savings must be a priority. It happens now. You will only save money when it becomes very, very important to you. Otherwise, something else is always going to be more urgent. And that's the truth. The second thing that jo- on Joseph's savings plan here is this, is that the savings needs to be specific. If you only save whatever is left over, well, I'm going to tell you right now, there, there won't be anything left over. That's for sure. You know, Egypt set aside 20% in savings. 20%. Now, now, now you might not be able to do that at first, especially if, if you're also trying to pay off debt. But you can start with 5%. You could start with 10% or, or even a specific dollar amount and, and work your way up to 20% over time. And maybe you only want to get to 20%. Maybe it's only going to be 10% or 15% or whatever. The third thing that Joseph says here is Joseph demonstrated that emergency savings should be kept totally separate. Remember, Joseph said that the food should be kept in Pharaoh's storehouses and it was to be guarded 24-7. It was going to be guarded. Joseph didn't sneak in there you know, a few times a week and make himself a sandwich. He didn't do that. You know, that, that food was saved for a specific purpose. No one touched it until it was absolutely necessary to touch. And the same should be said true of our savings as well. So first we see from the story that saving money is, is practical. Furthermore, we see that saving money is planned. And the last thing I want to point out, the third biblical principle of saving money is profitable. Disciplined savings adds up quickly. And as the story continues, look what it says in Genesis chapter 41, verses 48 and 49. It says, Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea 
It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Can you imagine having that much grain, that much stored? By saving only 20% of the crop during the seven years of plenty, Joseph had more grain than he knew what to do with it. The storehouses were completely full. They were completely full. They couldn't even measure how much they had. And this is the result of persistent savings. You know, you, you just, you just have to make part, part of your daily life is what you gotta do. Soon it becomes perfectly natural to put a portion of your pay aside as savings. And then it's there when you really need it. What was the result? What was the result of this enormous wealth that, that Joseph had saved, that, that the, the whole city of Egypt had saved? What was, the, what was the result of that? Well, the result was this. Egypt, Pharaoh, and Joseph became famous for, for wise savings. Egypt became a source of hope and help for the hurting. People came to Egypt from all over the world, they came from all over the world. The, the nation only survived this catastrophe, this, this catastrophic event, because of wise planning and careful savings. They survived because of that. By being faithful during the years of plenty, Joseph was able to bless the entire nation, literally keeping them alive during the famine. Can you imagine what it would have been like if, if Joseph had not interpreted that dream and know that seven years of famine were coming, how many people would have died because of lack of food? Joseph saved a lot of people's lives because of that. Well, actually, God was the one who saved a lot of people's lives because God is the one that gave him the ability to interpret that dream. And likewise, when you save money, it puts you in a position to help others. It really does. Savings is not contrary to sharing. It is not selfish to save money. In fact, what I believe is saving empowers sharing. It really does. Wouldn't it be awesome if the church could do this for her communities? That's the way it used to be. The, the church was the hub of society. How often have you wanted to help someone to give, to give to a good cause and yet couldn't do it because you didn't have the money? I've been there. I know what it's like. What would it be like to have the freedom to give generously and not worry about having enough money to pay the car payment or to pay the mortgage. I want to tell you, Sarah and I paid off our house and our car in the same month. Do you want to know what kind of relief that was off of our shoulder to be able to do that? It was absolutely incredible that we were able to pay that off in the same month. Savings isn't just about you or your retirement. It's about future generations. That's what it's all about, folks. 
Remember the verse that we started off with in, in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22. It says, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. We have a responsibility to our families, to our to the future generation, to, to turn back the tide of debt, wastefulness, and consumerism that is leading so many families into financial ruins. It is unbiblical to spend every dime we make. It's just not good sense. Did I just make a pun there? It's not good sense. But it isn't. It's, it's, it's unbiblical to spend every dime we make. We are called to leave an inheritance, but that doesn't only mean a full bank account. We leave a, a generation-changing legacy when we take the time to teach our children God's way of managing money. You know, if, if we give our kids money with no biblical financial training, they're going to lose the money. If we give them training with no money, well, they'll make the money. But if we give them both, imagine what good that they could do in their lifetime. Again, we are called to leave an inheritance. That's what we're called to do. That inheritance will go to my children when I'm done. But that inheritance will also go to my church when I'm done. You know, we want to give to our children, but we also want to give to our church. And I want to be able to bless the church as the Lord and his church have blessed me. So I will include the church in my will. Would you consider doing that along with me? Would you consider doing that for the church? The same thing? You know, the church, the church will survive because of God's blessing and also because of the blessings of its people. The church will survive. So my question is this. Would you consider doing that? Blesses the Lord blesses you. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. The bottom line is this. Wise people save money. They do. As we have learned from Joseph, saving is practical because we know that trouble's coming. Cars are going to break down. Houses are going to need maintenance. People get sick. These things are, are not really unexpected. They're going to happen. We know something is going to happen. We just don't know what or when, but something will happen. Furthermore, savings is planned. It, it doesn't happen by accident. It just doesn't. It, it needs to be intentional, immediate, and, and, and separate from all other resources. And then finally, savings is profitable. Consistent, persistent savings leads to wealth that we can share with those in need and with future generations. Future generations, whether it's your family or your church family or whoever it is that you want to give to. Next week, we're going to talk about saving money God's way. It's going to be interesting. In the meantime, as the band heads up, I want you guys to come on up. I want to offer the same invitation that I offered to you last week. If you're struggling financially, 
if you always seem to have too much month at the end of your money, which is true, please look into Financial Peace University with Dave Ramsey or Crown Financial Ministries. Those two are extremely good resources to use. You'll find a wealth of resources and information about how to develop a spending plan, how to get rid of debt, and much more. And if you also need to come this morning because you have another issue, you want, you want prayer, you want to give your life over to the Lord, you want to rededicate your life, whatever you have need of, we give you that invitation to come this morning if you want to come.